Clustered conversations. What, what, what? Clustered conversations. By Weka. Hi, and welcome back to Clustered Conversations. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And we're joined today by Thaddeus Fortenberry. Thaddeus Fortenberry. From uh, Tenstorrent. Yep. And uh, one of our favorite customers. We've been working with you guys for quite a while. Actually, mm-hmm. working with you specifically for quite a while. I mean, so. Yeah, even before the Tenstorrent days. Yeah, so. Yeah. I know you worked at AMD in a few other places. So, what's your background? What brought you to tech? Who is that? Is <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been in tech for many years now. It's surprising, mm-hmm. but uh, my track is that you know, long, long time ago is HP, then Microsoft, then AMD. That's when I moved to Austin, mm-hmm. uh, and then several of us went from AMD to Tesla, where we worked on uh, the autopilot FSD and, and the infrastructure. And then, uh, then we scattered. I went to <laughs> Apple for a bit in SVG. And then now a lot of us have regrouped and we're back at uh, Tinstorrent. And uh, so it's been, it's been a journey, but it's really great. You know, we, it's, it, it's a surprisingly small community uh, in the ML world and silicon development and storage yeah. too, I guess. So, so in Tinstorrent, what is the ML workload you guys work on? Is there something specifically trying to solve or... Well, so uh, one of the exciting things about TensTorrent is that we're not just working on ML. Mm-hmm. We're also developing with the ASIC, we're developing a tightly integrated RISC-V-based CPU. Wow. Mm. So uh, this is quite different because, you know, when in the last 11 years, we've been dealing with a CPU, an x86, mm-hmm. with a GPU, non-coherent memory, Sitting across a PCI slot, it's just terrible bandwidth, mm-hmm. and we've been trying to deal with that. So right. at Tins Torrent, what we're doing is we're bringing these two compute units together, up-leveling the compute, up-leveling the bandwidth, and it makes it to where I can mix all kinds of workloads, wow. whether it's pre-processing or ML. And stuff. So it's pretty exciting. Nice. Yeah, we see a lot of different ML and AI kind of workloads, and you see... It, it, very specific hardware and very specific workloads work well on, on either CPU or work well on GPU. And, mm-hmm. But it seems like we're seeing more and more that the, the workloads are, are mixing. So we, Well, so what's really fascinating is that there's actually several papers. You know, Facebook has published, Google, Microsoft. And what all of them are saying is that when we say machine learning training, <laughs> at least 50% of that is pre-processing. It's mm-hmm. dealing with data. Yeah, yeah. And so whether it's image resizing, whether it's some sort of uh, appending of labeling or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things that people are doing, but it takes a lot of time. That tagging is like, you know, 90% of the work sometimes because you got it's billions and billions of pieces of information you're trying to look at. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that means that you have, you know, if you have this CPU and GPU with this big divide, Mm -hmm. then I have to move data back and forth all the time because a lot of that pre-processing is happening on the CPU. Right. Mm -hmm. So this was a lot of what motivated us to architect this design where this brings this together. So Mm -hmm. I can actually, not only can I combine the hardware to where I can do whatever is appropriate on the appropriate hardware, Mm -hmm. but I can do it dynamically. I can do it while the workload is running. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. (laughs) And that, nice. that really makes it easier because because we do a lot of work with like GP Direct stuff, and so we're moving uh-huh. data from our storage through RDMA mm-hmm. uh, and landing it in GPU memory. However, 
the at certain block sizes, it costs more to move data across RDMA than it does to move it non-RDMA. So we have to go through the CPU and then pass across back to the GPU again anyway. Yeah, and so I was a huge proponent with NVIDIA to do GPU direct from storage. Yeah. And uh, and because it just it it obviously makes sense. I skipped that you know yeah. system memory thing, but the harsh reality goes back to what everyone's been publishing about is that pre-processing often requires a CPU. Yep. And so you can keep adding things to your GPU, which Nvidia has done, and they've solved several particular portions of it. Mm -hmm. But anytime you're having to go back to that CPU, then unfortunately you're having to move the data. It's all latency. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, load and transmit time. That's actually interesting that you're you're mentioning that the PCI bus is the kind of bottleneck. <laughs> Typically, you don't you don't hear that. Typically, PCI bus is like this infinite level of uh, I can send data everywhere all the time. There's you know millions of lanes and et cetera, et cetera. So, what are you guys doing differently than? Well, the first thing I would point out is mm. that a lot of things, and and this is for I have a lot of scars about this. <laughs> <laughs> Everything breaks with scale. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Things that seem easy, seem wise, you know, when you're working in a little <laughs> teeny cluster or mm -hmm. even a workstation are terrible decisions when it comes to you start when you're uh, scaling up. Mm -hmm. So um, PCI is great if you have like even, you know, just a small cluster and you have, you know, a small number of of uh, of cards or network interfaces, things like that. Mm -hmm. But when you are really pushing, you know, terabits of data, which is what we are doing as well, mm -hmm. you start hitting very real PCI limitations. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, PCI, you know, we have tried for years in the industry to have PCI meshes, like expanding it for an entire cluster. Mm -hmm. And again, it it works to a certain degree. But you grow past that, and it just the overhead is just it's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, PCI is was intended and originally designed for a single system, right? So even trying to get it out to create a mesh, create a fabric, send send PCI directly to from system to system, that's a bolt on. Right. Well, I mean, the PCI uh, standards body has actually done a lot of good work with mm -hmm. PCI four, five, and now six. Mm -hmm. And so they're they're really uh, pushing the envelope when it comes to what PCI can do. Mm -hmm. But in the end, as fast as they're doing that, the EML world keeps <laughs> eating it up. Right? You know, it's, a, it's never quite enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. Uh, you know, Weka couldn't have existed like eight years ago or 10 years ago because networks weren't fast enough, right? That's 40 right. gig, 25 gig, 10 gig really couldn't handle what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It was when you get to 100 gig and the latencies dropped and the ability to get almost PCI speeds outside of the machine is when we could build a, a mesh storage fabric like we have today. Yeah. And now yeah. with 200 gig and 400 gig, it's been a lot of fun kind of seeing, you know, the storage is almost infinitely fast compared to, you know, what it was before. But can it go faster? Well, we'll find out in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's a different transport method than like using it, you know, essentially aggregating a, a, a NIC from its 16 PCIe lanes into something else that has even greater levels of, of throughput and bandwidth that isn't you know, bound by PCI and is something that's inherently networkable and shareable amongst all systems participating. It yeah. Be very well, a funny story is that uh, when I first started working on a larger um, you know, a machine learning cluster, mm -hmm. I wanted to take I wanted to take the philosophy coming from a silicon architecture to into the cluster itself. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to create a cluster cache effectively. Wow. 
Now, today, this isn't as novel as it was way back then, because <laughs> a lot of people are, are doing this now. Mm -hmm. But at the time, uh, I had modeled it. I had modeled the throughput. I had modeled the latency that we needed for uh, uh, different frameworks. And I went and talked to several different storage vendors. And there were several that literally said, this is impossible. This is, <laughs> this is unrealistic. And wouldn't even talk to me about it. And uh, so then I found Weka. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I went through my models, I went through what I was trying to do mm -hmm. and, uh, and Weka says, we can do this. I mean, and we started putting together the design, uh, and what's nice about the Weka, the, the Weka's approach is that I designed the cluster first mm -hmm. and then I designed the storage to support the cluster and the workloads running. Wow. Now, this is really different because yeah. if I'm buying an appliance, a uh -huh. storage appliance, I have to do it in reverse. Oh, yeah. I have an appliance that has certain characteristics, and so I have to design my cluster for those characteristics. Uh -huh. The problem is that maybe your workload won't be as, you know, com you know it won't work Perfectly as well aligned the workload. To, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So um, we did this, we, and we had a lot of learning that we went through <laughs> through the process. <laughs> But in the end, not only did we achieve the numbers, we actually beat the numbers that I had originally modeled, oh, wow. but we also were able to expand that and continue to scale it up. And that's, again, I go back to this, that's always the test. You know, if I'm designed a system and then I go through and I keep growing that system, mm -hmm. that's when things break. Yeah. And yeah. what was really great about Weka is that it didn't break. Yeah, so Josh and I nice. both came from the appliance world. Oh yeah, that was our previous job, <laughs> and we totally understand that. What was what I used to talk about with our support guys is we sell the product to the customer for the solution they're asking for that day. Yeah, we cannot guarantee that that's what they're going to run next month. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, you, you you sell it based on that workload that they specifically asked for, and yet you, you had to size it and probably go out of your way to size it yep. to meet that performance requirement or that size requirement, and to go above and beyond. Well, you know, maybe you yeah. can do it. Well, the guy would just show up and throw two or three more things on there. Oh, exactly. we got the another two terabytes. Let me throw something else on there. And mm -hmm. at some point, the, it falls over. That's that's the one thing that's been kind of fascinating here at Weka is we can just keep smacking things on the side of the box and add more storage, add more servers, and it just keeps literally right. Going and you can do it very fine grain yeah. grained. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> fine grained. Uh, because with an appliance, I have this huge block of yeah. storage. Mm -hmm. And if ever I start getting to capacity or whether it's throughput or whatever, then I have to have another huge block yep. this jump. And I don't have that with Wacko. So that's yeah. yeah. So yeah, we we grow one nth every time, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's one drive or, or one server, we just keep adding that amount of performance and that amount of space to the cluster mm -hmm. versus yeah, what at our previous company it was array plus array plus array. Right, yep. right. Yep. Yep. Or or you know, cluster of or and you know, set of amount point versus systems. mount point versus mount oh, point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're not even getting into extracting the performance of the client level. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, oh I need to be able to hit this you know, X number of gigabytes per second. Well yeah you can do that. We have ten different mount points. Yeah. <laughs> and and now you get to split up your workload across ten different what should be the same data sets, but nah, maybe not. Yeah, yeah worked, it's complicated. I've worked closely with the uh, with the previous uh, cluster that you had, and that one's still doing about three to four hundred gigabytes a second all day, every day. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, the workload that those guys run. Well, and you know, with the experience uh, I have had with Weka, you know, I started at at, uh, at Tins Torrent, my first startup. Yep. I've always worked for large companies, uh, working at Tins Torrent, 
And I, you know, and the reason why I joined was because of the roadmap. The roadmap of what we are developing is, is it's not just exciting, it's, it's game changing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the question is, here we are with all this compute. You know, we've talked about having CPU, ASICs all integrated. We have chiplets doing everything. <laughs> We've got our racks that we're putting together are nearly 100 kW. Wow. I mean, we're talking <laughs> serious, serious compute. Yeah. And I'm faced with the question of how do I feed this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and very uh, predictably, I guess, I <laughs> called you guys up and I'm like, uh, hey, well, remember that problem we had a while back? <laughs> I've had to adjust the numbers a bit. <laughs> well, Josh is our 200, two, tera- two terabyte a second guy. So he's the one who did that. in. I Oracle think that's Bob. still the fastest cluster we've put together. I think so far. Yeah. Well, we're going to be pushing on that. <laughs> Good. I want to see the nerves. Had I had two drives per, uh, per virtual machine on that thing, yeah, you can't or, or bare metal machine, I guess it was in this case, I, I, it would have done four. Yeah. Wow. But I only had one. Yeah. And they could only do six gigabyte per second each. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, I mean, the, the throughput, I mean, it's not just Tinstorm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to favor Tinstorm because our architecture is the best. Right. Of course. But, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but there's everybody is doing this. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the HGX. Look at what NVIDIA is pushing. Oh, yeah. Bandwidth. You know, yep. and there's, there's uh, you know, Cerebrus in their wafer mm-hmm. scale mm-hmm. Uh, architecture. Yeah. And, you know, everybody is is recognizing the fact that m- machine learning is the parallel workload that everyone was looking for a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was talking about the importance of parallel uh, workloads, but no one really was figuring out how to do it. But then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, machine learning in the last 10 years, this is blasted. I can put as much hardware, I can put as much parallel storage, parallel network, parallel everything, mm-hmm. and it will eat it up. Oh, yeah. And there's, it, it's just remarkable uh, what a game changer this is for the architecture and the business of uh, computing. And Josh and I said this last time, we just keep moving the ball neck around in IT. Yeah. But one of the things I kind of think of with GPUs especially and, and all these DPUs and everything else going on is that it's analogous to tape drives, right? Back in the day, if you had a tape drive and you weren't feeding it fast enough, it wasn't always spinning. So it had to stop and rewind and, re- and keep going. So you end up what we call shoe shining. Uh, and that's the same thing that's happened with GPUs. GPUs go, and then they run out of data. They have to yeah. wait to fill up again, and then they go. So you're not getting that constant flow. And that constant flow is what actually gives you that that end result in a faster time. Absolutely. That time to insight, that, that you know, actual ROI and, yeah. and being able to not have exit, like to your point that well and consider you know time. you're spending a quarter of a million dollars per server yeah. oh yeah yeah and it's an expensive it, investment right and yeah. if it's not used at high efficient or a utilization mm-hmm. that's a tough roi as you say yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun conversation back to, to finance to and, that. and it's burning 40 or 80 watts just sitting there on the floor not oh, doing yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially the new i think we mentioned this earlier the yeah. The new H100 boxes, or like if you get the the DGX proper one with the H HSM2 connector uh-huh. that it uses, like 700 watts yeah. to a single GPU, yeah, and then 500 to 500 watts if yeah. you have the PCI Express version. Like, yeah. oh my goodness, yeah, those boxes are like 12 kilowatt per box. That's, that's yeah. my, that's my house a month. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like my air conditioning doesn't use that much power. It uses a third of that. It's, it's yeah, wild. that's true. Yeah. But the idea is to keep those things fed so you use them less, right? You want to get that that 
minute time to epiphany, right? You want to bring that down. That's right. And that's kind of what what we're trying to do with storage and you guys are doing with your DPUs and we're trying to get the compute and the data all working together to get to the end point. That's right. It's the, the goal is to have the highest utilization possible on your hardware. Right. And that's how we stay, you know, get greener. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just, you know, like the Bitcoin guys burning GPU hours just waiting for <laughs> that one coin to pop out. <laughs> and more importantly, burning coal doing it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I toured the data center in Iceland that has Uh-oh. all of the ASICs in it. Nice. And I, I, I'm glad at least it was geothermal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had a call with one of the Iceland guys uh, yeah. that, that, that just on one of our podcasts recently. When oh. They were running one of the data centers up there in Iceland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys at that north. Yeah. It blew yeah. me away. They it's have, fascinating, yeah. actually. Just, uh, I was like, hey, at least you don't have to worry about cooling. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> Just open the windows. And, and I said, well, so how do you expand? Let's say your data center needs more power and stuff. And the first thing he said, well, we'll dig a well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Geothermal for the wind. Isn't that easy? <laughs> Water is that hot? So I guess, uh, what do you see, I mean, as far as data in the future? I mean, do you see a lot more AI ML workloads? Do you see, you know, data sets getting bigger? Or, I mean, what's the, what's the world going to look like in a few years? So I think that uh, the whole AI industry is, is just it's fascinating. And I, I actually believe that we are at the infancy of ml we're just now moving from r&d or academia kind of approaches to more production right. and that's going to be a big switch for us mm-hmm. uh, i've actually talked a lot about uh, ml ops uh, because it's quite important to that shift to production right but um when it comes to uh you know data is going to continue to scale i hope at some point we're going to really emphasize uh targeting valued data because a lot of the ha- a lot of the things that we do today don't again I, I, I sound like a broken record but they don't scale right, <laughs> right. so uh, you know if going out and driving a car around and extracting every bit of data possible doesn't really scale so right. at some point you need to say I'm really only looking for the following things mm-hmm. and give me that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost so, more important to understand what data you're looking for rather yeah, than looking right. for all the data. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that filter data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, um, you know, and, and again, the exciting thing about being a Tens Torrent is that we're building this, you know, extreme hardware and we're talking to all these software companies that are coming in and they are pushing the limit on, on AI. Yeah. It's like when I, when I learn about their projects, when I learn about what they're doing, why they're doing it, I'm blown away. I mean, I would never have imagined some of these things, some of these approaches. Hmm. And uh, so I, I, I think that as we continue, whether it's with storage or whether it's with compute or everything in between, that there's not going to ever, I, I can't imagine that there's going to be any slowing down or decreasing of innovation that's happening with AI. It's, it's just well, fascinating. The data sets are getting so big. Because, I mean, we've been talking yeah. to universities for quite a while now. And it used to be you talked to those a few terabytes mm-hmm. then it was a few dozen terabytes now it's oh we're looking for six petabytes just to start right mm-hmm. that's uh that's a data set that we're going to be working with mm-hmm. and then we're talking to a lot of labs and they're talking in the the 50 to 100 petabyte size and then we have a uh, one of our customers uh, who we've talked to on the podcast before who's mm-hmm. doing 10 terabytes a day uh, a night because they're using <laughs> telescopes yep. and they, they, <laughs> they have a half an exabyte of storage is what they're looking to work on and yeah, that's the data set they want to work on. Yeah, and and in addition to the capacity requirements, you also have to modify the data. You right. have to label the data. You have to this 
unbelievable amount of work that happens to make sure that data is relevant and identifiable. Ignoring all the data science. I just put a folder. <laughs> I said I put a folder that says to do it. I just stuck it in there. Yeah, that's right. Good, good I'll good get there eventually. Yeah. It's, it's been categorized. Yeah. It has a link. Please sort. Yes. <laughs> right. It's also going to be interesting to see uh, as these models become more commercialized. Right. You're going to see corporations start using it against their data warehouses. Right. They have all this data, whether it's marketing data or financial data or, or customer sat data, that they can actually use that data finally to, you know, actually solve problems instead of you know, going through a spreadsheet or a pivot table and trying mm -hmm. to look for a nugget, have something actually look through that data and find that that special piece that's going to help them with their business. Yeah, and and again, it's like these very really smart people come in and they look at this in a new way. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got this data. I can actually infer or extract all this information out of it in some new way that we I would never yeah. imagine. One, one of the companies I worked at previously that we had a data lake and it had all this information in it, just. We had some visualization, but no one really knew how to use it. We just mm -hmm. had all this data. How do you look at it? How do you determine what that next purchase for your customer is going to be? What that next yeah. support issue is going to be? What that you know, whether a drive oh, yeah. firmware is going to start yeah. failing? Mm -hmm. You know, if you start seeing a certain pattern of mm -hmm. drives, those things make huge differences to people and can solve a lot of problems very quickly if you know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. If you start seeing temperature at a certain point and increasing at a certain point, along with a you know certain smart indicator or an error, mm -hmm. you know. The CRC checksum happening at a certain rate, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Intuitive kind of but predictive. It's hard failure. to do with the way the tools that we have today, but mm -hmm. it, it'd be taking that data set and figuring it out and being able to set a alarm in place that's monitoring that that giant flow of data. And be yeah. able to well, and, and part of the development of AI is to figure out what those indicators are. Right. And so that's you know we a lot of times we're not even we we can see the data but we're not seeing the patterns. Right. Half the time is just knowing what question to ask. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, you know, he spent 42. Because it's 42, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There's always 42. Uh, so you know the answer, but what was the question? <laughs> That's going to take longer. For that, we need a couple million years <laughs> in a bigger computer. Yeah. Who knew uh, Douglas Adams invented AIML? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Sweet. My question, though, is like you actually bring up, bring up a good point there of, of knowing what what is the right question to ask, right? And that brings into, well, there's the human factor of, of coming up with AI. And as we, as humans continue to iterate through, we have our own perspective. We've seen what we've seen. We know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. So when do we get to the point where we have AI that can do that itself? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that at one of my old employers, Tesla, mm -hmm. uh, the whole culture, and Elon started this, is go back to first principles. What actually are you trying to achieve? What is the design that you are trying to, what problem is, are you trying to solve? To solve? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this is really hard, actually, because even if it's a subconscious level or whatever source it is, a lot of times you go into a problem and you'll, you'll not get to those first principles and you start making errors in your approach. And it's, I think it's excellent training for all of us to, mm -hmm. whether it's a house repair or <laughs> whether it's a supercomputer, <laughs> going back and looking at what is it that you're trying to solve and then design to that and go through that exercise to make sure that, that you're trying to answer that question. Yeah. That's always fun when you're just really, to your point, kind of doing anything I mean, from the mundane to the you know, your very high level mm -hmm. of you, you start working on something because you thought you had a question, you thought you had a, a path to mm -hmm. follow 
And then you've been doing that. You're like, oh, this is, this is, something's not working out the way I would expect. Yeah. So you go and you ask someone or you know, otherwise someone comes and helps out. And they ask you, well, what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. And you can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, like I thought I was trying to do there. You've done so much in between that the original question, the original issue, <laughs> maybe that got changed in your memory or you don't exactly remember right. or recall That's correctly right. what it was. I'm sure that only happens to me, right? I'm, I'm unique <laughs> well, in that way. There's yeah. also the issue of your own biases and your own background, your own mm-hmm. learning. That's right? right. And if you don't have an office full of people who think differently and can look at a problem from multiple angles, mm-hmm. you're always going to try to solve it the same way. Yep. That's right. And so are you really looking for the right answer or are you even asking the right questions? And that's, that's the thing we got to look at. I do see a lot of nails. Yeah, because yeah, you got a hammer. It's good to have a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's all wacka. Wacka, <laughs> wacka. But yeah, so it, it's nice to see that the technology is moving ahead and we finally got into a place with compute and now with the, the hardware you guys are working on and the, mm-hmm. the software that you guys are working on to be able to try to solve these problems faster, right? And, and at, at a more efficient rate. That's right. And uh, that could lead to scientific breakthroughs and geological finds. Well, I, I, I have no doubt that it will. Yeah. Uh, the fact that not only were we allowing for the data to be modified dynamically and rapidly, uh, we also have the ability to do very, very high scale of ML. So it's all really about what are you trying to solve? What's the idea yeah. you've mm-hmm. got? And so it's great. So you add to, you know, with Weka, there's, you, you can have as much data as you could possibly collect, right? <laughs> and then with us, you could compute on it. So yeah, we've been collecting data at such a rate these days, though. I mean, you got to yeah. think of all the, the IOTs out there. And, and IOT is everything from now a refrigerator in some cases, right? So there's yeah. data patterns all over the place. But now we got to take that data and actually do something with it. That's yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so a big part of that is to, as we said earlier, is to find the pattern uh, that is valuable for the analysis that you're doing. You know, and so it's quite interesting. It almost yeah. feels like we should have a consortium of data, people who could sit around and decide, you know, what are the questions we got to work on? It'd be interesting. Uh, I don't know. That might, that might be kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> consortium <laughs> analyzing <laughs> data? <laughs> it's, a, it's a pentameron. <laughs> I just watched the first episode of that last night. I've got to go watch more of it. That's <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I don't know. Josh, anything? I, I for one, welcome our forthcoming new electronic <laughs> overlord. <Overlearned>. So, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Me too. This is, this is our piece of the data stream that's going up there for uh, exactly. analysis later. Analysis later. <laughs> right, right. Perfect. So, no, yeah, it's been great. All right. Thank conversation. you. Thank well, you. Thank so, you. Thank you it was good to yeah. talk to you guys. Great having you. Pleasure having you. Well, yeah. So, uh, for Clustered Conversations, I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. Thanks for coming. Okay.